0: We're going to be reading Exodus 21, uh, verses 33. I believe in your bulletin it says verse 37. I'm sorry, that's wrong. So Exodus 21, verse 33, and we will read through 22:15. So Exodus 21, verse 33, through 22:15. This is the word of our God. Verse 33. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit, and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price. And the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it's known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and instructs that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun is risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he is nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and his own vineyard If a fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it's stolen from the man's house, and then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. And for every breach of trust... Whether it's for an ox or a donkey, for a sheep or a cloak or any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it. The case of both parties shall come before God. The one who God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep it safe and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath of the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring in his evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbors, and is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. But if the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. Since the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Let's pray and ask him to bless it. Father, we thank you for your word. We know it is perfect and good and true and eternal, but we need your spirit. We need your help to understand it. Uh, Not just how it meant back then, but how it means now, how it applies to us. Lord, please lead us. Lead us to what you want us to know. Lead us, Lord, to know you better. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. So it's been a couple weeks uh, since we've been in Exodus. Um, So I want to remind us that the section that we are in right now is part of a series of concentric circles. Um, So there's an innermost circle, and then there's an outermost, a middle one, and there's an outermost. So right now, we are in the middle concentric circle. And if you remember, we talked about how the middle, the very, very center of this whole section of Scripture uh, was found in Exodus 21. Where uh, it says, this this is the bullseye, right? This is the central point of this whole section of Scripture, chapters 19 through 24. And the bullseye is, we are to fear God and worship Him. Because he is our awesome and amazing God. And fear of the Lord drives us to worship him in simple ways, right? Altars of dirt. But the next circle, if you step out a bit, right, now you're in the middlemost concentric circle, and you have two sides of it. One side is the Ten Commandments, right? That's one side of the circle. The other side is 21 through 23. So those are our chapters that we've been going through lately. And so this means that all the laws in Exodus 21 through 23 are connected to the Ten Commandments. That they expand and apply the Ten Commandments to Israel's everyday life. this section shows us, here's what these commandments mean for you and what the Lord prioritizes. What God values, uh, what God desires for His people. And so we've seen how uh, some of these laws have related to you shall not murder. Some of them have related um, to uh, the Sabbath laws and how that applied to slaves. But in our section today, Exodus 21, through 22:15, 15, this expands upon the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. So these, our section, our passage today is expanding upon the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. So the foundation of these laws, the basis, what, what this is all built upon, is the fact that Israel is a covenant community. Israel is a covenant community. This whole section of scripture, Exodus 21 through 23, is often called the book of the covenant. Saying this is what covenant life looks like for you. And because Israel is a covenant community, it means they're, they're like a family. An essential part of any community, And but especially a covenant community, is that there must be peace. And in Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. An essential part of the covenant community is shalom. It's peace. And usually, right, we translate shalom as as peace in English, but that doesn't quite do the word shalom justice. Uh, Shalom in Hebrew, in the Bible, it means far more than just peace. It means unity, it means fellowship, it means belonging, it means completeness, it means wholeness, not being broken. It means so many things, but but what it really pushes at is that shalom and peace is not an emotion. It's not a nice fuzzy feeling you get when things are going well. Shalom is a state of being. And that means that as a state of being, it can be threatened by certain things. Um, there, There are things that threaten the shalom of God's covenant people. And our passage today addresses two specific threats to the shalom of the covenant community. And it is theft and conflict. Theft and conflict are threats to the shalom of God's covenant people. Now theft is fairly straightforward. You know what I mean when I say theft. It means taking something that doesn't belong to you, right, without permission. Um, But the fundamental attitude of theft... Is, is one of taking right it's I'm going to take from you instead of giving fundamental attitude of theft is one of taking instead of giving and this is why it is such a threat to the covenant community is when you are all takers when everyone's taking from each other and no one's giving it means that you're going to destroy yourselves Right? The, the community will fall apart. And so the book of Micah actually relates theft to a form of social cannibalism. Right? Theft is almost a form of eating each other alive. And he's not just talking about you know, breaking into someone's house and stealing the jewelry. He's talking about all the ways that we take from other people what doesn't belong to us. It's not just possessions, it's also taking dignity, taking honor, taking time and energy away from others, trying to take from other people. That The fundamental attitude is, you are a resource that I will use and consume for myself. That's theft. But conflict is also a threat, and conflict needs a little bit more unpacking. Conflict is unresolved tension. Conflict is unresolved tension. I'll give you an example. A husband promises right, he's going to take the trash out, and then he doesn't. Wife comes up to husband and says, hey, you didn't take the trash out. That's tension. Right? Now there's tension. And tension isn't necessarily bad. Tension can go two ways. One way that tension can go is the husband says, you're right, I didn't keep my word, I'm sorry, I'm going to go take the trash out. Wife says, I forgive you. Thank you for taking it out. Tension is resolved. Right? The tension has been dissipated and resolved. But there's another way that tension can go. And it's where the husband says, Uh, do you have any idea how busy I am? Like what what's the big deal, anyways? It's just trash? Why are you always nagging me? All right what happens? Well, now you're fighting. Now you have conflict. Now you have an argument. The tension has turned into conflict because it wasn't resolved. And conflict, it sets people against each other. Right? Now you are on opposing teams. You're on opposite sides and you're fighting. You're against each other. You're in opposition. That breaks shalom. Right? When people in a covenant community are at odds with each other, at conflict with each other, there is no shalom. There's no peace, unity, fellowship, and joy and wholeness. So in these two different ways, whether it's theft or conflict, these threaten the shalom of a community, of God's covenant community. But what the Lord desires for His people is He desires that they have shalom. And so He gives these laws in our passage today to teach us how shalom can be put back together after it's been broken. These laws teach us that shalom must be put back together. Once it's broken by theft or conflict or it's threatened, uh, the Lord says these laws are to show us how shalom can be put back together. But ultimately we're going to see that these laws are actually pushing us to learn an even deeper reality. That there's there's a deeper problem than just theft and conflict in one community. We have a deeper problem. And that deeper problem is that we are in conflict with God. That because of our sin, our shalom with God has been broken. And so, if we're to have shalom again, it has to be restored. It has to be put back together. And we'll see how later on. But first we're going to look at our passage and how the Lord pushes his people, teaches them how shalom is put back together in the covenant community. Uh, We won't look at every single law, but we'll take samples. Um, So let's look at verses 33 through 34 first. So what it says is that when a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration he shall give money to its owner and the dead beast uh, shall be his so I want you to imagine this scenario playing out right imagine a guy digs a pit Um, donkey falls in because he didn't cover it and the guy comes and says hey my donkey fell in your pit Um, now there's tension right now there's tension so it could go two ways one way that it could go and turn into conflict is the guy who dug the pit said well not my problem Now there's conflict. Now you're in opposition to each other. But this law actually shows us the way out of conflict. It says that the man who made the pit shall make restoration by giving money to its owner. So the way that you deal with tension before it turns into conflict is by taking responsibility. The man who who actually was responsible, he didn't cover his pit. He takes responsibility for that act, uh, even though it was an accident. it's still his responsibility and he makes restoration but I want to talk about what this word means so it says make restoration that's actually one word in Hebrew Um, so the word making restoration or he shall make restoration that's one word in Hebrew and that word in Hebrew is the verbal form of the word shalom the word in Hebrew for make restoration is the verbal form of the word shalom Uh, In other words, the man who didn't cover his pit, he shall make shalom. So, as a verb, this word means to make complete, to make whole again. And in our passage over the next 19 verses, this word, to make shalom, or the verbal form of the word shalom, will show up 14 times. That means it's important. That means this whole passage is about making shalom. Restoring shalom when it's been broken. And these laws teach us that in order to do that, in order for shalom to be restored when it's been broken, the person who did it has to take responsibility and make whole the person who has been hurt. Let's take another example. In in chapter... Uh, 22 verses 1 through 4. It says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay or he shall make shalom five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely make shalom. Shalom if he has nothing then he shall be sold for his theft but if the beast is found alive in his possession whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep he shall make shalom double or twice so as we just read that, that, those verses take a step back and think about what do you think when you hear the word law now, when I say the word law what do you think about you probably think about something like justice right a law means that there's justice to be done but now, here's a question for you. In these verses, um, if these verses, one through four, are purely about justice, why is the thief required to pay back five oxen if he only stole one? In fact, it's four, if it's a sheep, and if the, the beast is found in his possession, he shall restore twice or double. Why? Why? And if these laws are about justice, why is he required to pay back more than what he took? Why is he required to make shalom more than what he took? Why is he to make whole? Because what this, these verses are teaching us is, here's how you make whole. You give more than you take. Here's how you make whole. You give more than you take. Because if the goal of these laws was justice, you would expect eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, ox for an ox, sheep for a sheep. Are you still one ox? You return one ox. But actually the thief is to repay more than what he took. Why? Because the goal is not justice, but shalom. The goal is to make whole, to make complete, to restore the shalom that has been destroyed by the theft. And that means giving more than you take. Even if it's just found in your possession, you shall restore double in verse 4. But actually throughout the rest of these verses, we'll see this show up multiple times. In verse 5, if you ruin your neighbor's field by grazing your animals on on his, his, whatever it is, his radishes, you shall restore, you shall make shalom. And you shall do it out of the best of your own field. It won't be one to one. Right, it's not, okay, his field was this quality, my field is this quality, I'll give him the same exact quality, I'll do as equal as possible. No, you give the best that you have, why? Because the goal is to make whole again, it's to restore shalom. Verses 7 and 9, the thief or the one who who lost the lawsuit shall make shalom twice or double. So you see in verses 7 and 9 it says you shall pay double Again, why do all these laws have, have disproportionate consequences? Why is it not just one-to-one? Why is he giving more than what he took? Well, the point is that justice by itself cannot make the victim whole again. Justice cannot bring shalom. Justice cannot bring reconciliation. That doesn't make justice bad... But it means that if the goal is shalom, it's going to take giving more than you receive. It means making whole the person that you have hurt. And I think that's why in all of Israel and all the laws that Israel ever receives, nowhere does God ever say that the thief receives the death penalty. Nowhere in all of Israel's laws is a thief ever killed for stealing. And that's actually in direct contrast to all the laws of the world at that time. For instance, the Code of Hammurabi, one of the most well-known codes of laws, uh, it says that any thief caught in the act is to be put to death. By death penalty, boom, right away. But not in Israel. Why? Because the goal, God's goal for Israel is not simply justice, but shalom. And there can be no reconciliation and no restoration of shalom if the thief is dead. That's why I believe that the thief's life is actually protected when he breaks into your home in the daytime. So in verse 2, it says that a thief is, is caught, right? He's breaking in. He's, he's found. He's caught. He's struck so that he dies. There is no blood guilt. Means that you, as the homeowner, you did self defense. There's no blood guilt. You could reasonably, it's dark, right? It's nighttime. For all you know, he's a guy breaking in to kill you, right? So this, the law says there's no blood guilt. But if the sun has risen on him, verse 3, there shall be blood guilt for him. I think what this means is that at nighttime, it's dark, things happen, things get crazy, there's no blood guilt. But if it's daytime, You as the homeowner should not kill the person breaking in. Why not? Because there can be no restoration of shalom if he's dead. There has to be restoration of shalom. It has to be made whole again. And so in verse 3 it continues, He shall surely make shalom. If he doesn't have any money... He'll do it by by being sold into slavery for his theft. But somehow, it has to be made whole, not simply in, in the death penalty. And all these principles apply not just to theft, not just to stealing, but to any situation where shalom is threatened. Whether it's through negligently allowing your cattle to, to graze your neighbor's field in verse 5. Or negligently setting a fire in verse 6. All right, the man shall make full restitution. Uh, he shall, really and truly, he's got to make shalom. Or whether it's when you borrow something from your neighbor. You are to take responsibility for what you've borrowed. And if you are responsible for what happened to whatever you borrowed, you shall make full restoration, restitution. You shall make shalom. Why? Because there's tension there. There's tension in the covenant community when things go wrong. When, when I borrow something from a friend and I lose it, now there's tension. And that could easily turn into conflict. And conflict threatens shalom. But what the Lord wants for his people is he wants them to pursue shalom. He wants them to see that shalom means it requires for it to be restored, requires giving more than you take. And this these these sins, these things that break shalom are are serious. They destroy communities. They tear communities apart. They tear families apart. Conflict, especially, can ruin the peace of any household. When we go into any relationship, fundamentally, as takers rather than givers, that destroys the peace of the relationship. And so what Jesus says, when he, he's reflecting on these laws in Matthew 5, Jesus says that we should take this so seriously... That even if you are at the altar, offering a gift to God, and you remember that your brother has something against you, drop everything and go be reconciled. Jesus says that in Matthew 5. He says, if you're offering your gift and you remember he's got something against you, drop it and go be reconciled. Go make shalom with your brother or your sister. Why? Why? Because sin breaks shalom. And not just with each other. Sin breaks shalom with God. God says in Isaiah 48, There is no peace, there's no shalom for the wicked. Not with other people. And certainly not with God. Or as Paul says it, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Enemies of God. Strangers and aliens. By nature, children of wrath. Think about it this way. Right? If, if stealing an ox, which in the grand scheme of things, is not worth all that much. If stealing that is enough to break shalom with your neighbor... How much more does stealing glory from God break your shalom with Him? How much more does the sinning against God break your shalom with Him? How much more does stealing worship away from Him and giving it to false God break your shalom with Him? What happens when you have a fundamental attitude towards God of taking instead of giving? Will you have a good relationship with God? No, you won't. You will be in conflict with God. And because of our sin, because of your sin, you are in conflict with God because you have stolen from Him. You and God, without someone coming in and restoring shalom, are set against each other. But, you say... It's simple. Right, our passage today told us, how do you restore shalom? You give more than you take. So if we have sinned against God, and we've broken shalom with God, we just need to give to God more than what we have taken from Him. Right? Simple. Now shalom will be restored. Um, that's all well and good, but I don't, I don't think you and I really grasp just how much we have taken from God. I mean, not, in, not in monetary terms, right? You can't put a price to it. But in eternal terms. Because every sin against an infinite God requires infinite recompense. And that's just to satisfy justice. But as we said earlier, justice cannot bring reconciliation. So in order to have reconciliation with God, you not just have to... Rest- have justice satisfied but now you have to multiply that by five. So multiply infinity punishment for your sin by five and that's what you need to do to be reconciled with God. That's that's a tall order. That's a lot. That's more than we can do. So I hope you're starting to see that your deepest need your deepest need is is not for justice to be satisfied. Your deepest need is to be reconciled with God. Your deepest need is for peace and for shalom to be restored. Your deepest need is for you to be made whole again and for God and your relationship with Him to be made whole. And in case it wasn't clear, you can't do it. You can't do this. You cannot restore... Your relationship with God. You cannot make shalom with him. But there is someone who can. And there is someone whose name happens to be Prince of Peace. Prince of Shalom. His name is Jesus Christ. There is a way for you to be restored. For you to be made whole. For you to be reconciled with God. Uh, Listen to what Paul says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, our shalom, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So that by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making shalom, and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the Christ. Thereby, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What's Paul saying? The, Paul is saying that the cross is where Jesus, the Prince of Peace, broke down the dividing wall of hostility between you and God. The cross is where Jesus killed your sin. Where Jesus made restoration. Where He made restitution for your sins. Where He paid back to God, not just what was owed by justice, but five times that. So that you can be reconciled to God. So that you can have shalom with Him. So that through the blood of Christ... You who are once over there, right an alien, a stranger to God, an enemy, set, set in opposition to God so that you can be brought close and made a friend. Or Peter puts it this way. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, by Jesus' wounds on the cross, you have been made whole again. You have shalom through the blood of Christ. How can this be? Because Jesus became your sin. Which means that Jesus became God's enemy so that you could become God's friend. Jesus' shalom with God the Father was broken on that day on the cross. And that's why he called out, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? But his shalom with God was broken so that yours can be restored. The cross of Jesus then answers your greatest need. Your greatest need is to be restored to God, reconciled with him. The cross is the answer. So if you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, that means that you have shalom right now. And here's one of the best parts. The shalom that Jesus gives you can never, ever be broken again. The shalom that Jesus gives you can never be broken again. This means that no matter how much you sin and steal, and lie, and argue, and yell at God, nothing can separate you from Him anymore. Because your shalom is not based upon your works. Your shalom is based upon Jesus. That's why Paul says, He is your peace. But you say, Well, I don't feel very much at peace today. I don't feel at peace. Well, remember, shalom is not an emotion. Shalom just is. Shalom is a state of being. That means that you have shalom through Jesus Christ whether or not you feel like it. Your peace with God is not based upon your emotions, your thoughts, or your righteousness. It's based upon the Prince of Shalom himself. So to close this morning, I'd like to mention two points of application. How do we apply the things we've learned today? I think, firstly, we should learn to be like Zacchaeus in Luke 19, who said to Jesus, Lord, if I have defrauded anyone, I have restored it fourfold. Just like back in verse 1 in chapter 22. And we should follow Paul's command in Ephesians 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor so that he can share what he has. In other words, the first way that we learn to apply everything we learn today. Do not be a taker, be a giver. Don't be a taker, be a giver. But secondly, the second application is that you can't be a giver if you're trying to get your peace from somewhere other than Christ you cannot give to other people when you yourself are empty you have to have your peace in Christ alone so stop trying to find it somewhere else and trust me I've tried it I tried it this week, tried it yesterday, tried it last night, and it doesn't work. And it didn't work, not a single time that I tried to find peace somewhere other than Christ did it work. Peace only comes when we look to the blood of Christ, when uh, when we find our peace in Him. But we've spent the last week, the last few hours, trying to find our peace somewhere other than Christ. So we need a weekly reminder that... Hey, your peace is not found in yourself. It's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in the blood of Christ. And that's why God gives us the supper. Because when we come to the supper this morning, uh, the, the supper is a weekly memorial. Which means that it's not about remembering. And it's not a reenactment of the cross. But it is, by God's power and, and mysterious spirit, the blood, the bread and the wine become the blood of the body and blood of Jesus that we receive by faith alone. And the blood of Jesus cries out a message. And the message of the blood of Jesus is this. This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, spilled for you. I'd like to invite the elders forward so that we can receive this gift of God. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this gift. We thank you that you remind us every week that our, our shalom is found in Christ's blood alone. Lord, we ask that you would fill us up with your grace and with this truth so that we could go out from today and that we can be givers, givers to our families and to our neighbors and to those around us. That when we sin, we would seek to make it right. We would restore fourfold. That you would teach us, Lord, how to, how to share what we have. Lord, most of all, we pray that every time we fail, every time we sin, and every time we forget where our peace is, that you would lead us back to the blood of Christ, that we would be satisfied in him. Father, thank you that you teach us so gently and that you lead us so well. We glorify your name, Lord, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.